Hello. All right, so tonight we've got a special guest joining us, uh, Brandon Graham. Uh, but before we get to him, I want to welcome my co-host, Alana. How you doing? Hi, great to be here on Graphic Policy Radio tonight. Excellent. So uh, well, we kind of want to dive right into it. So let me get to the, the intro really quick, and then we can start talking with Brandon. Uh, so Graham was, uh, has worked with everyone from Antarctic Press, Oni Press, NBM Publishing, Dark Horse, Image, and more. Uh, recently, he has two impressive releases, both through Image. We have Eight House Arclight, uh, number one, which debuted July 1st and is a fantasy world featuring sharp, genderqueer knights, blood magic, music, dancing, and a goose. Uh, Island, which is a really cool comic magazine, debuted July 15th, and his new uh, ongoing series and fe featuring the talents of Brandon, M uh, Emma Rios, and more. Uh, hello, and welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm doing uh, good. This is good. Great. Uh, so the first question we always kind of want to start with uh is kind of getting some of your background. So how did you actually get into the comic industry? Um, you know, start off, you know, what were your interests and got you wanting to do this? Uh, I, uh, I, I was, I was raised kind of in a, uh, in a background, a lot of comics. Both my, uh, both my parents read this stuff and my older brother, my, my mom actually got a, a letter published in Spider-Man in the seventies, I think. Oh, cool. And, yeah, Marvel Comics asked her to be the, the, the Marvel representative at Oberlin College. And, she down. and, uh, and cool. my father read a bunch of... That's a job I can imagine. I'm sorry, my father <laughs> Oh, my father read a bunch of... He's a hippie that read a bunch of underground comics. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, Marvel never asked me to be their representative at Carolina College. So, either... <laughs> We were getting less attention than them because we're slightly smaller left-wing liberal arts university, or they've gotten squarer since the 1970s. Up to you. To yeah, you should have hit them up in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> and when, when, what were the main influences you had that you were reading when you were younger? Oh, my parents would give me an Asterix books, and um, I remember Furry Freak Brothers being around a lot. Oh shit. And. You know, like Donald Duck comics and Super Goof and all that stuff. It's a pretty eclectic, like, listing of uh, books that you're reading. Um, yeah, it's just you know, comics. What? Uh, Sorry, what was like? Stuff? Yeah, so out of them, like, what, like, really kind of stood out to you then that kind of got you to want to maybe create comics? Um. A lot, a lot of the stuff that really clicked, the Tintin stuff was a big deal to me. I have a, I have a Tintin tattoo on my arm now. Hmm. Um, I, I got really impressed by the Japanese comics I saw when I was maybe nine or ten. My older brother brought home a, a big Shonen Jump book that had Dragon Ball in it, and that was a really big deal to me. It completely destroyed that thing. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that was definitely like the time where those pieces were first really coming to America. Like, we're kind of the, the first generation of folks to have that actively in their youth accessibly. Right, certainly. 
comics reading habits. Just real, you mentioned Tintin being one of the things you loved. I see that in your color palettes so much for what you do in multiple warheads these uh, these days. So that that makes a lot of sense to me hearing that. Yeah, or kind of or kind of uh, Tintin via Mobius, like uh, all the French comic stuff that I dug up later. Mm. Cool. So how did you? Um, I, I was gonna say, how, uh, how did you actually get into like creating comics themselves? Um, I, I drew them kind of longer than I remember. Uh, you know, my, my mom always tells me that I announced that I was gonna do comics when I was seven, and I don't remember being seven very well. So it was uh, it was pretty early on that I was drawing stuff. I, I think the first thing I drew was a um, I saw the last unicorn cartoon, and I did a, a little booklet. That my mom lettered for me. That was uh, like my own version of the Last Unicorn, and so oh, I wow. must have been seven around then. But yeah, it was a fantastic cartoon and, and book. I got to do it. I got um, completely unqualified for it. I was in Oslo, Norway, and they asked me if I wanted to do a talk in a theater on any on any Japanese animation while I was in town. And I I picked the Last Unicorn and, and researched a bunch on it and did a slideshow, which was really fun. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I, I also just love that you were making your own mini comics at seven. Like, <laughs> that's, a, but that's a lot of storytelling skill to have at that point. Um, well, they weren't good, you know. <laughs> no, but to do it at all. I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't. Well, this isn't about me. But anyhow, that's really interesting. I, I one of the pieces that was really clear to me, like looking at your work was, you know, that you had come from a graffiti background. And then I read that that had been the case and I felt really proud of myself for identifying it accurately. Um, so I was wondering, uh, how did you end up getting involved in graffiti? Well, that, was, that was kind of the art scene in, in Seattle. When I it was, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anyone else that did comic books, but I knew other people that drew and they, they all did graffiti. So I, I kind of reluctantly started doing it myself and then got much more into it. I kind of my my peak graffiti writing years were really late for graffiti writers. Like I started doing it kind of seriously when I was 20 and then kind of did it until I was about 24. Or, you know, most people, it's like they start at 15 and stop at 20. Yeah. 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 But, Often for legal reasons. Like. Yeah, I was really lucky. I never, I never got <laughs> Wow. Did you have any particular uh, graffiti writers that you were influenced by in your work that you were doing for that? Yeah, yeah, I definitely did. Uh, well, a lot of them were Seattle guys that no one remember his names of, but um, oh. I, I had a friend, this guy named Cosby, who was a big deal to me, who kind of, he, he was really adamant about if I was going to be doing this at all or ever calling myself a graffiti writer, our history of hip hop, and he would give me these photocopies of, of books uh, written on on the history of it and, and watched documentaries on it and all this stuff and and uh, and yeah there's there was a lot of guys like that and then um, you know uh, I think mode two was it was a big it was a big influence of, of Cosby he's got into his stuff and he has a very French comic book look to his work I think he's a I thought he was French but I think he's British hmm. and uh, yeah I mean there's a lot of guys um, you know future 2000 is is a artist that a lot of people would know who does really good graffiti stuff or did it back in the 80s. And Von Baudet, would, you know, he never did graffiti, but he was kind of very influential of, of graffiti writers back then. Well, that's cool. You're right. Like, I, it's different from, like, the New York folks who I would 
name. Um, but it, it, I definitely think, like, you do so much stuff with lettering and with words in your art that um, it, it's pretty clear that that's, like, where a lot of that comes from. And yeah, I, and I just, just comics in general. Hmm. <laughs> what, what were you saying? I was going to say, I imagine that folks who have less experience reading graffiti might sometimes be like, I don't know how to read these words. It's a, lear it's a, it's a learned skill, you know? Right, but then I also do, I do a lot of things that aren't real words. Like, I, I realize that I can do sound effects that aren't made out of actual letters, and that's something I enjoy a little bit too much. Yeah, you have a lot of fun with language in the comic in lots of ways, inventing language and also wordplay and stuff like that. Has that been a long-standing thing in your art? Yeah, definitely. And I, I kind of, um, I think when I started to get more attention, I started to do more of it because I, I almost, um, it was this kind of almost way to justify that I was putting enough work in. Can I, can I put a bunch of puns on this? And I've, I've tried to calm down, but it's still something I very much enjoy doing. <laughs> um, I guess I should uh, get back to talking about some origin stuff a little bit more, but um, what, you know, I, you, you've been doing this stuff for a long time and in different venues. Uh, what, what is your creative process right now when you're doing a work that you're writing and drawing yourself? Uh, I do a lot of, uh, I do a fair amount of pre-planning. I, I have a sketchbook I carry around and I'll do, I'll do notes in it and uh and then do thumbnails but i i change everything to get to the page like i'll i'll erase a page several times oftentimes and 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 try different things out sometimes just to, to stop myself from going crazy i'll just pick a really basic layout and just stick with that uh but yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways it's i've been really happy about having deadlines force me to try new what? things De deadlines, just something where oh. something that forces me to turn out a certain amount of pages in a certain amount of time, because I will, um, you know, it kind of stops me from having from having the ability to to mess around with something endlessly. And so it's keep it's like I all the time. I keep cutting you off. What were you saying? Oh no, it's fine. And you should just do that. That's how we roll here. But um, oh, I, I was asked. <laughs> I was asking. Um, so, like, you actually have plot points that you want to hit out that are planned for within any given issue, or for a bro or, or more for the story arc, because it's it's like a very sort of. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bad one to talk to about story arcs because <laughs> it gets muddled a lot of times, especially <laughs> in my own work. It gets very muddled um, mm -hmm. in kind of what I want to be doing. Uh, but uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I have I have points that I that I want to hit. You know, I'll figure out how to do them like you know every I'll be like this in this five pages this stuff has to happen but then I'll get sidetracked on kind of what's amusing me about the pages and uh, and often when I do layouts they're much more spread out and then when I finally uh, I'll do a couple levels of layouts where I'll do you know every base up and try to do multiple like something great about comics I think is that there's ability to have multiple actions that you couldn't have in film or animation happening at the same time and the reader can all see them at the same time. You know, it's kind of like a pause on a scene where if something is happening mm -hmm. distantly in the background, you can this time is, is in the foreground. That, that's I like that a lot. I that was, definitely see. Well, I mean, like just looking at the stuff you had in Island, that's multiple Warheads piece, 
you have like trans almost like a transparency where you can see things that are happening within buildings from the outside of them and like multiple yeah, like doing that action happening at one time. And I worked in, I did a, an episode of Adventure Time recently and I kind of had to learn not to do that. Oh, wow. When is that one? Is it aired yet? Yeah, it was a couple months ago. It was a, one called Jermaine about, they met, uh, they met uh, Finn and Jake's brother. Oh, that was you. Oh my God, that's such a great episode. Oh, thank you. It's really fun. How, how it was me and Jesse Moynihan. Yeah, we love Jesse Moynihan. He's been on the show before, actually. Um, oh, cool. I'm a big yeah, fan of forming. Yeah. How did you end up doing something for uh, Adventure Time? That's really cool. Yeah, it was it was like uh, getting paid to do fan art. But um, I, <laughs> Brent Tomic, who's one of the one of the boarders on there, has been there since the second season. I think me and him uh, used to hang out in New York a lot, and uh, and I met Penn Ward, the creator of it, at a comic convention a couple years ago, and and uh, and he just read King City, so he he talked to me into taking the the test, try it on the show, and it was really fun. I I really just like immersed myself in it and started watching it. At first, it was like, oh, I'll try out to watch this show that that I a bunch of artists I like work on, and then I got super into it and and uh, and and became obsessed with different characters and started drawing lots of pictures of Bimo in my sketchbook and things like that. Really big. Bimo would fit in very to... well in your world. Like Bimo could totally be a character in multiple warhounds. Yeah, I think a lot of the aesthetic of Adventure Time very much, and and a lot of that was that the Tom Herpick who's had so much influence on that show was a big influence on me before he worked on that. Like, uh, he does a lot of really, really unfortunately don't, uh, a lot of people don't see cause they're very small press. He did all these, uh, short story collections, one called cusp and one called Gunwana Dawn. And I think white clay was his last one. White clay. And I, and I white clay. Yeah. That uh, they based the the Lemongrad character off of him. Oh wow! Because he has this, the he has this kind of the or the personality, <laughs> or both. The personality, because he has oh, this wow. very uh, deadpan way of uh, rejecting things by just going like, uh, and they kind of exaggerated that. Wow, that's that that that's a bold move. That's a bold move on the <laughs> to base to base a character like that. Well, that's really yeah, cool. And, and, I actually, you know. I also just heard recently, this is only vaguely connected, but um, did you guys know Charles Burns was who they based uh, Mr. Burns from The Simpsons off of? No, but that makes sense. And it's really bizarre because they, I guess him and Groening, Matt Groening, however you pronounce his name, the Simpsons guy, uh, went to went to school or, or hung around with him when they were all very young. And so Mr. Burns was like based off the, who I think his middle name is actually Montgomery. I'm not I'm not sure, but it was told me that way. And so I got to hang out with him recently and and it was really interesting to see like the you know the the middle aged version of the young guy that the old man was based off of. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Um, this is I, all yeah, just me name dropping now. <laughs> no, that's cool. I didn't have that episode. But actually, it's weird because I have actually only recently become acquainted with your art. I watched this episode of Adventure Time before I knew who you were. Um, I have oh, to cool. credit. Yeah, I have to credit Emma Hubar actually for telling me that you exist and your work is awesome. And um, and I, I think that a lot of the additional you know press and attention that have come with the launch of Islands. Uh, I'm sorry, Island. I don't know why I keep saying the name wrong. 
And with 8 House, it's definitely making folks like myself who are a little bit more uh, mainstream in our comic consumption habits, uh, you know, more familiar with your work and stuff. I wanted to ask, uh, you know, I've read issue one of Island, as has Brett. So I understand that within canon, the origin of the magazine is a product of the voice of God empowering you to do whatever you'd like on this world. But right, outside certainly. of canon, what were the origins of this com- of this new comics magazine and, and what made you choose that name? Uh, the I guess the origins were, I mean, it's something that I was, I was part of, a, of an anthology years ago around 2000 called Meat House that was um, mm-hmm. like a New York group of artists that uh, like Becky Cloonan and Farrell Dowrymple and Chris McDonald and James Jean and Tomer Hanuka and a bunch of guys. And um, so some of those guys are involved in this too. And so, and so obviously like uh, heavy metal magazine was a big deal to me growing up too. And a lot of that stuff is always, like, there's always talk about like, you know, we should do another comics anthology magazine, but it's kind of uh, it's kind of poison. Because uh, people with my sell or yeah, they kind of they're they kind of famously don't don't sell very well. Um, you know, there's ones that survive, like Dark Horse Presents, I think does okay, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it's certainly not not the but. Um, so I, I started talking to my friend Simon Roy, who I work on Profit with, about kind of how we could put out a, a magazine that um, it, it's it's all very kind of boring behind baseball stuff, but inside baseball stuff, but like kind of talking about the reasons why we don't think anthologies sell. And a lot of it for me is that I think the um, the way that they're published isn't the way that I personally want to read them. Like when I buy a book like um, when I buy a book like Dark Horse Presents or Heavy Metal or a really good story that you really want to read that's like eight pages, and you maybe get like two or three of those in the book, but you're spending like six bucks for a for a uh, a bunch of stuff that isn't necessarily your cup of tea. It doesn't necessarily feel like it's all for one type of reader. Uh-huh. That's not to shit on presents. I think they do fantastic stuff in there, but it's always strange to to see like um, Stan Sakai's work next to like um, uh, I don't know Howard Chankin or something. They're they're very dramatically different types of comics that a lot of people can enjoy both those, but but it almost feels like they're for different types of readers. Uh-huh. From assignment about Island was making making something that all felt like like if you liked my work or Simon's work or, or Emma Rios's work that that you would like the other creators that were that were putting in there uh, and um and uh, so i talked to, to eric stevenson the publisher of image possible to do and kind of while i was talking to him i started talking to to emma rios about uh if she'd want to be involved and she was she was very excited and and it, i think it makes it much more international to have i, I got to go visit her in barcelona and uh she's she's part of this really big of Spanish cartoonists. And a lot of them are doing work for Marvel comics, but none of them are really writing. And uh, I like the idea of, of me being in Canada here and her being in Spain and, and us trying to do comics that are that are kind of all around the world. And you know, like in the first book, we've we've got um, a third comic and it was done by a, a friend of mine in Tokyo. So we're kind of, you know, touching on all these different continents. 
and, and the name of it is basically um, I I always come back to to Island and different things. And when I did my book King City, there's a part when he's like looking at the mirror and he keeps talking. He calls himself Madagascar and what was that? Sorry, you just cut out for a second, so I didn't hear what you were saying. That he was looking in the mirror, and then you cut out for a second. Oh yeah, he's looking in the mirror, and he he calls him. He says, "I'm an island. I'm I'm, I'm Madagascar." And uh, um, there, so yeah, there's a bunch of kind of reasons behind the name, but most of it was like, like I can't control the comic industry, but I can at least control this tiny little magazine, <laughs> or at least me and my friends can kind of do what what we would be excited to read like make something that um, there's doing commonly is that the way the publishing works, or at least the way that image works is very monthly based. So readers want to come in every 30 days and pick up a book, but that's not necessarily how every artist works. And a lot of times you see artists very much shamed because they don't hit a monthly deadline or, you know, a yearly deadline even. And mm -hmm. hopefully people to spend more time on comics because you know, if, if it's an art form, hopefully that there's there's room for all types of artists doing doing all types of spending, you know, different times on, on the amount of work. And the idea of getting something monthly that has that much work put into it, I think is really exciting. Well, you know, one of one of but, yeah. yeah, I mean one of the oh sorry, um, one of the you know, one of the pet issues I guess that we, we talk about a lot on the show is uh how much comic art you get from the big publishers that looks incredibly rushed and sloppily done. And I've, my gut is, my gut is to always, you know, side with the workers in any context. So Certainly. I don't want to say like, Oh, these artists are bad. My assumption to take from it instead is, Oh, these artists don't have enough time to do their best work. And the, the, the way the system is set up is not giving them the time to make things that are, you know, polished and beautiful and like have noses in the, in the correct place and things like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's really so, accurate. Okay. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's why. So by doing the anthology this way, you're saying that people can do shorter bursts of work and then not have to worry about like a monthly deadline because the lead time is longer or, 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 or why is that? Yeah, because of the lead time. I mean, obviously, one of the one of the main reasons that people have to rush stuff is is is, is money, and that's that's always still a problem. But um, I don't know. Like personally, I'm in a really nice position where I I make enough where I don't have to. You know, I I, I, I just can sit around and, and draw all day and not have to go into a real job. So it works out for me. Yeah. But um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, I think it. I think it's it's nice. I, and a lot of the a lot of the cartoonists that I've been talking to for it are, um, you know, some of them have day jobs and some of them have enough have to support six kids or whatever off of it. So it works out. And you know, luckily I've talked to Image into funding the thing. Yeah, I mean that's really impressive. You know, I mean it seems like you were having two big things at Image coming out at the same time. Um, you know, Island being, I really do think it's the first new con monthly comic like large format magazine to come around in a long time. And then you're also starting this new eight house uh, series. I guess well, it's like a, it's not a series, it's like a universe. Um, I, I've been thinking about it like the way you think about the shared universes that you have in, you know, DC and Valiant or Marvel or what have you. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. It's a lot to populate. It's a lot to populate, right? Yeah, but also those, the, the freedom is that 
both of you know both DC and Marvel. I think Valiant was probably slightly different. They were they were patched together universes that were weren't intended to be part. Of and and it kind of shows that readers are kind of and, and creators too are kind of willing to make these jumps in logic where you know Thor and Spider-Man can be in the same universe even though they don't seem like they necessarily should be <laughs> and and so um, and so a lot of it's just kind of playing with it actually started out because some um, relaunch of Rob Liefeld's uh, extreme universe stuff a couple years ago and I did fit and um, I think uh, Joe Keating and, and Sophie Campbell did Glory, and, and there's a couple more, but those are the two that kind of stuck around longest. And uh, and so, and, and I was going to do Pit, and uh, and uh, my wife Marion was going to do um, Witchblade, and uh, and so oh, wow. the Witchblade idea turned into uh, From Under Mountains, which is very unWitchblade now, and uh, and the Pit. I said that the pit idea just didn't happen. The thought, though, of, uh, of, of, of Marion doing uh, Witchblade is like literally the only time I've ever had any interest in anything connected with the word Witchblade <laughs> before. So I hope something <laughs> like this can happen. I mean, especially because my I, I think it was... Witchblade is like, ooh, the art. But um, I would love Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind like of the that. problem with it. And she was really into the, it was going to be like a bunch of old women wearing dead things as armor. So it was going to be kind of the opposite yeah. of, of which play. It was going to be impossible for. <laughs> which, um, I don't sorry, know if you, many people you, were doing you, that. You, which... I'm sorry, you, your voice just cut out, cut out exactly when I was, I'm pretty sure you were about to say something really hilarious. So let's try that again. No, I was, I, <laughs> I was about to say that if my voice cut out, then fantastic. I was just saying that her version of which blade was going to be. <laughs> I was going to masturbate to, which is darn it. Probably fine to kind of. So bad. Oh no! I was going to say this internet connection is really bad, and it's destroying this joke that I'm really in love with. And I'm going to, I'm going to try this. We're going to try this one more time. I apologize for this. Um, being an international podcast of international mystery sometimes has its technical wackinesses. So she was going to do a version of Witchblade that was going to be impossible for anyone to rank to unless they had specific interests. Is that the gist of what you're trying yeah, to Yeah, and unless they're or just impossible to masturbate to in general was the was the gist. <laughs> I love that. That would be amazing. Um, so but I but it's cool to see what's coming out instead. So what is the piece that, that she's that she's doing instead of that? I mean in addition to art. So that one there was something else she's doing? Yeah. Yeah, so she's uh, she's co-writing this thing called From Under Mountains that comes out pretty soon. It's in previews already, and, and uh, Claire Gibson is writing it with her, and then yeah, From Under Mountains, and Sloan Leong is uh, is doing the art on that. He's a and coloring too. Uh, and so yeah, that, that looks fantastic. I think. They, yeah, it's part of Eight House, but it's it's uh, its title is just From Under Mountains. So we've got two. They in you. If they do well. Sorry. I said we we've got two um, two uh, eight house monthlies going on, and and we're going to be doing a third one if if this if they sell okay, and they're they are selling pretty well so far. Oh wow! How are you planning? So how are you planning out kind of like this world with the different series? I mean, you kind of going in and 
and you know she pitches her story or, and you kind of figure out how it all ties together or is it like you've come up with this greater world and you're kind of like piecing it out or I'm either neither of those a little bit of those i mean <laughs> a lot of it is is going to be how we how we deal with it in a year like we're there's i guess so there's four different series that are all that are all playing around they're all being played with around at the same time now and it's going to be in year two when we come back and kind of start to connect them based off each other's work because uh, a lot of them happened on completely different sides of the same planet and in different like uh Emma Rios and and Hui Lin's story they're doing is on an, is on another planet. It's very connected at this point, but it's basically a way to rope these things together to say these are these are fantasy science fiction stories. But um, yeah, it's it's really open right now, so it's it's something I was very strict when I put profit together. There's lots of. Um, degraded went on but, but at the beginning i was very strict and um and so for eight house i'm trying to be much more relaxed and kind of let people do their own things but I, you yeah, know I just bring on people I, I who i trust yeah and give them space to do it i i've only we've only seen um arc light so far but i, I think that everyone's thoughts about it are you know how unique the world building of it is and it feels very underivative um and and oh, so there's so much fantasy and sci-fi stuff right now that's like it, it, it's a that's a mashup of other genres or you know an update of a pre-existing thing and this seems like it's completely right, identical plot. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is just that um, you know if you if you grow up reading so much science fiction and fantasy, you kind of get the cues for what what things are. Yeah, but we don't need to explain to you what elves are or anything. You know, you can you can figure it out, and so we can kind of take ideas and, and base them in other things and kind of uh, play with that. But yeah, I think kind of having a really solid environment is really important to me, and certainly important to Marion. And I think that being a comics reader, you are always finding yourself coming into the story in the middle of the story. Um, so it's like a skill that you kind of have to have to consume comics. Yeah, although I worry sometimes. I feel like a lot of the books in, in really frustrating ways. Like I, I'm really annoyed whenever I read a Spider-Man comic and they tell you the origin again because it's not only it's not only something that every human being on the planet knows, but it's also usually completely or almost entirely completely useless. Like hmm. and you don't need to know, you know. Yeah. Well, we have this joke. So by now, you don't know Spider-Man's origin. It's by choice. You've chosen not to know Spider-Man's origin. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to talk to someone who didn't know Spider-Man's origin, but still read comics. Is there is there like fantasy series that you kind of feel influenced by, like as you world build? Yeah, there's there's a bunch of stuff. Um, I'm a really big fan of Carlos B. McNeil's Finder book. And that one's really, uh, really dense and fun. And, um, you know, I, I grew up reading ElfQuest. It's really oh. Novels, uh, Ursula Le Guin stuff and, and, 
Yeah, it's all over. Were you, uh, were you, Elena, were you an ElfQuest reader? Uh, only recently discovered it, actually. Um, it's, I should have been reading it growing up, but I didn't because I only read superhero books. But, um, but it's interesting to hear that as something that you, that you're into because, yeah, I, I, I look at, well, I also see, you know, there's definitely the Mobius piece to your work. There's a very right. interesting flatness in your color choices. But the, I can see an interest in sort of like a, I don't know, if it's almost like Art Deco lines and stuff like that that are in some of the ElfQuest architecture. Like I see some of their architecture in that book, in, in ElfQuest, kind of in the architecture of multiple warheads. Yeah, I can see that. And it's weird now because in, in recent years I've gotten much more into the Shonan. When I was reading uh, the, the John Bushoma drawn Savage Sword of Conan stuff that oh. came out in the 1970s through Marvel. Yes. And I didn't realize how yes. influential that stuff was to Wendy Penny when she was doing ElfQuest. Yeah, I mean, like there's there's specific issues. That, right? She was like um, a model. In, she was like she was a cosplayer, right? She was a she was a Yeah, she was a Red, Red Sonia, Sonia cosplayer. cosplayer. Yeah, which I just think is awesome. Yeah. She's done art for some of the issues that I have, in fact. Yeah, I wonder if there's um, a modern equivalent of somebody who's like a who's like a well known cosplayer. Cosplay person, also, right? I don't, I don't think so. But that's probably because nobody ever lets women write any comics professionally, so that would probably include <laughs> cosplayers <laughs> from getting writing jobs. I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just saying, though, a lot of the women writing comics are are in their 30s, and a lot of the cosplayers are in their teens and 20s. Yeah, that might be part of it. That's probably, that's probably part of it too. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, but it's, it's, your your argument's very valid as well. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I you know actually I have a question regarding Island. Is like, how do you sort of choose like which artists and, and writers you want to to include in the magazine? Like, how, do you have a list of folks you want to include over the course of the year, or or how? how yeah, you, I've got a giant dry erase board. And there's a there's a there's a lot of kind of set rules that me and Emma have, have talked about for it. Uh, one of the things is um, like uh, uh, most of the creators we don't want to we don't want to publish people that can easily just go to image some series at image it, it doesn't really like help anyone. Um, I mean there's there's a couple exceptions obviously me and Emma could but we. Up in there, and there's there's some people like that, but um, you know, it being a place that we can uh, um, what's really important to is work I'm really excited about that um, that I haven't seen that that I think are will be new to different readers. Like Michael DeForge is a really big deal to me, and uh, E.K. Weaver, who did a web comic called T.G. and Amal that I'm a really big fan of. Michael DeForge. Is yeah, great. I know that. I know yeah. that one. Like he's really big in the indie scene, but less in kind of like the image comic scene. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, you're mining SPX is what you're basically. <laughs> you're going for like the best of SPX is basically what it sounds like. <laughs> There's some of that stuff, definitely. Yeah, but. Uh, but it also sounds like you're really deliberately seeing this as difficult. a way to nurture. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that what we were saying was. 
to, to kind of bring in uh, newer creators? In a really deliberate way. Um, yeah, but there's also, and also older, there's a couple creators that are, um, that are like from the generation, uh, generation before me that, that we're putting in. There's this guy, Phil Barlow and, uh, and Helen Mayer, who are two Australian cartoonists. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've never, never, never heard of them. Yeah, they did. Um, well, they they did pub this this comic called Zooniverse that came out from Eclipse in 1986, and then uh, went into animation and worked on like the real Ghostbusters and Captain N and Alf and all these cartoons I grew up on. Hmm. And kind of animation. So that's a, yeah. Looking forward. Yeah, to and, that I, and I. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's weird, too, because me and Emma have talked a lot about how there's a certain responsibility to bring in uh, people who creators that aren't. Um, and but you never want to make it feel like it's like a ghetto of uh, like a, some minority ghetto. So it's like really quality work because, you know, it's not like there's any um, problem finding amazing work. Um, I've got it. We're going to uh, try to. We're, we're, the, our connection is really not great, so I think Brett is going to okay. try to call you in and conference you in <laughs> that way. Um, okay, because, we'll, we'll do that. Yeah, yeah I'll, sorry, I'll, I'll dial in in a minute. So hold on. Okay. I guess let's keep talking, and then when you hear the phone ring, pick up the phone and hang up on on the TV. I'm sorry, on the on the web interface. Well, thank you for bearing with our technical wackiness, though. Um, uh, definitely dialing. looking at the page, the, um, the page that just came out about uh, From Under Mountains um, with Marion Churchill's art, and it's just gorgeous. Um, the colors are really great, too. So, okay, I'm going to try calling you in. You're going to be getting a phone call from someone with a Brooklyn area code and calling you in right now. You guys keep talking. Yeah, just bear with us in a minute. Hopefully this will work. And sorry for those who are listening. Sometimes technical stuff doesn't quite work out with the international calls. And if there's one thing about us here is that we are sensitive to the cultural differences between Canadian and American culture. <laughs> I'm trying to dial the number given, but it's not quite working. So hopefully it works for you, Alana. There we go. Okay, this works. Yes, totally. This is going to be the best. Um, uh, however much money this ends up being added to my phone bill imaginable. <laughs> In the name of art and podcasting, we are making this happen for international yeah, podcast. <laughs> no problem. Okay. So, Holly, where were we? Um, oh, yeah. You're we talking about not wanting it to seem like there's a particular, like, ghetto that you're getting people trapped in. Um, uh, you know, we were talking about your philosophy behind who you were including into. Right, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it's always a slippery slope where it's always kind of dangerous because you want to talk about um, – you want to talk about kind of bringing in being inclusive with the work and bringing in different types of, of creators. And the scary thing is, uh, you know, once I say that out loud, I have to hold myself to it Mm -hmm. (laughs) because, you know, it is, it is, you know, the industry is set up in a way where 
it's very easy to find. If we wanted to fill a book with nothing but straight white dudes, it would be very easy. We would have no problems. <laughs> and and we're not, um, you know, and, and there's certainly a, a large chunk of those in, in Ireland as well. But um, the idea of at least thinking about that is, is something that's really important, I think. Um, I've got a uh, issue six of Ireland with one of the, the major stories that I've gotten it so far is this um, this cartoonist named Anta who uh, is doing a, a gay pride comic about about uh, he does he does a lot of uh, like furry porn comics, which is also another <laughs> another group that doesn't get a lot of love in. Uh, totally! Wow. Oh, I've got a story about oh, that, yeah. but that's for another show. Oh. That's really cool. <laughs> no, I'm like all about supporting anybody who people are giving shit to. For you know, like I am all about giving them a microphone and a, and a, and a place at the table. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's just really, really important, and 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 also just kind of fun, like, you know, and and hopefully that's the kind of thing, like if, you know, somebody's a big fan of, um, you know, like Bitch Planet or or Sex Criminals or something, maybe they'll enjoy picking up just like, like totally outside of their radar, just like a, a gay furry story. Do Do you and, think uh, of like? Do you consider like the creators when you put together like each issue of how well the stories kind of go together or the styles go together? Yeah, I think that's really important um, because I want it's it's funny reading. I, sh- I shouldn't read reviews of stuff, but reading reviews of, of Island, it's always funny for the first issue because a lot of people were like, "Oh, well, you know, there's something in here for everyone," and and I'm specifically like, "Well, there's not supposed to be." Supposed yeah. To be like, if, if the ideally, if you like Emma and Ludro's work and my work, you'll you know, if you like one of our work, you'll hopefully like the other two. And uh, yeah, so I, I want to make I want to make an anthology that. Where you get it, where you where it feels like you're buying three comics that are meant for the same reader. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing that a number of us have commented about is how this feels like uh, an update. Like if 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 Heavy Metal Magazine was going to be launched in 2015, like this is what it would be. And it's funny to be saying that when Heavy Metal Magazine is actually relaunching under the auspices of Brett Morrison. Yeah, I'm really but, interested like, in how that goes. But to, but to say, but like they're saying, oh, it's going to be punk rock now. And what's hilarious to me is like, I love heavy metal as in the music that is heavy metal. And I love punk rock, but neither heavy metal nor punk rock are particularly 2015, even though there is innovative punk rock and innovative heavy metal that is doing new things that is coming out right now. But these are still genres that like have very much have their roots in the past. So I think it's kind of like hilarious to be talking about them as being like updated when it's still not really... Like I'm an old fogey, you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think that's what's interesting is is Morrison is um, oh, did, he's he's got to be in his like late 40s or early 50s now, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the a lot of the stuff that he's been talking about bringing it in feels like very established work, mm-hmm. and so um, I mean, ideally, hopefully, that's some place where like um, it can feel like where people do their their like their work that's kind of cumulative of a career, like if you got like. Frank quietly coming in and doing his, 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 you know, his, his best work of his career in there. That would be fantastic. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I know he's bringing in like, like Trent Reznor and people like that, which yeah, it does seem kind of, um, uh, old man comics, but, <laughs> but hopefully it's good yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. But I felt like with Island, like you were looking, I feel like there's, I don't know, there's something that's more, I, contemporary than that happening and it has more of like a, a hip hop 
cultural alignment than the other pieces do. That's that's probably more accurate, which is probably dated in a lot of ways too. Like, uh, you know, the first issue, um, I don't think there's, I think the youngest artist or the youngest person in the first issue is probably Marion, who's who's 32. So it's not, you know, I mean, we've got some like you've got some like 23 year olds in in future issues, but um, yeah, like uh, like Ledro was a was a graffiti writer as well. Mm-hmm. Did the the Daggerproof Mummy Mummy story. So there's definitely that. Is yeah. Definitely there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's good. I've been really lucky in my career where people keep oftentimes guess my age as much younger than I am because of the people I hang around with and because um, my incredibly immature work. (laughs) Oh, this is a question I meant to ask earlier. What is the origin of that little caricature icon you draw of yourself? Uh, I've seen it used in a number of different places. And I don't mean like you have a self-portrait that you do. I don't mean that. I mean like the little animal representative creature that you draw of yourself the little yellow thing with the tail yes it's kind of an evolution of um like when i was when i was younger i I drew this kind of scrawny wearing glasses version of myself and they they reached a point where like i I went through a bunch of medical stuff and uh and ended up gaining a bunch of weight then and and it was feeling weird about drawing this like scrawny self-portrait of me so i started doing like this it was almost like a um I don't know, like a reverse Paul Pope, you know, the the least flattering thing I could draw of myself to, as a as a kind of way to feel better about myself in a way, and, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just kind of evolved into this into this thing. And and my wife always gives me shit about it, and she's like, "You don't look like that," and I always tell her it's what my soul looks like. I like it. I like it. That's great. I think everyone yeah. has a little icon of themselves to put into things. Yeah, and you use a lot of photos. And you use a lot of photos in this. Is that something you've done in your in your other art? I've done a little bit of it, but I'm I, I'm really fascinated by. I think that's that's something great about using uh, kind of print technology now is is different than it's ever been before. And one of the things that you can do is collage, where you can actually scale something really easily, which would be a lot more work, you know, ten or twenty years ago. And so I because so much of what I do is is really based in almost like looking like, you know, like, like print technology of another era. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff I do is based off of, you know, CDs, Japanese and French stuff. So I want to do something to at least make it current. I, I never want to, um, I never want to kind of pretend that I'm not using the, the tools that I have or that I'm, that I am using. But yeah, I've also, I just think it's really fun. The The ridiculous idea that I can just like, take a photo of my friend's dog or something and put it in a comic book. I really enjoy. Yeah, that's really cool. It, it's, it definitely keeps the aesthetic a little bit more c- contemporary, but I, I do think in general, like your art is unique enough that I, I don't think it looks like, you know, any particular period. I just sort of see these other influences in it, but the style is unmistakably yours. I, I love that piece of fan art you did of the new mutants, by the way. That's like the m- number one piece of fan art I'm jealous of not having right now. So you should totally. Oh, nice. That was really fun to do because I grew up on. That was another big comic from when I was a kid. Is New Mutants and Power Pack. Oh, I should mention mm-hmm. the photo thing I do is I think it's really influenced by by Jamie Hewlett's uh, Ten Girl stuff. He would do a lot oh, of yeah. a lot of photo work. Oh, cool. That's that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you do your own color? You do your own colors for everything, pretty much, right? Yeah, yeah. When I when I have my way, I do colors and lettering and absolutely everything. It definitely definitely pays off. Like, 
I'm like can look at I, I look at I look at the palette and it's like a specific look and feel and I like that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think I've been very influenced on colors lately just by Marion's work because she's so um, like like everything I do is very uh, you know the grass is green and the sky is blue, but Marion has a cool way of of of, of kind of making it the light the most important thing. Mm. And uh, you know, entire scenes will be will be colored one color. Which we did a lot when I was working on on profit. I would work with the the colorist Joseph Bergen a lot, and and because it was a monthly book, oftentimes we would figure out ways to make entire scenes red, or um, you know overwashed in in some color just for speed and because it looked nice. Oh wow, huh? Um, how did you come up with the uh, the story idea for for ArcLight specifically? Like, I don't just remember the story. I mean, like the yeah, I guess the, the, the characters and, and, and themes, because like I said, I don't feel like it's derivative at all, so I'm curious where that came from. A lot of it is. Oh, so so I started this, the issue three of this that's, that's going to come out in a bit is uh, is called Kim, and that's uh, K-I-E-M, and it's uh, it's uh, me writing with this artist, uh, Shershua Penalta, and, um, and that's a story about a woman who, uh, like, actually projects her... her um, her body into her dead twin and they had to, to fight on this, like, uh, on this kind of dead, uh, dead Cthulhu monsters body. And, uh, and the guys that they're fighting are these, um, are these aliens that look like the lady character in Arclight that have been taken over by a, another house on it. So, so when I started doing Arclight, it was like telling a story from the other side of the war that I'd already come up with. And me and Marion talk a lot about, um, there's a lot of kind of gender and body talk that we kind of mull around with in, in dealing with science fiction because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's very strange that people do these like vastly alien worlds and everybody's um, still very male and female and, and, you know, and their relationships are just, you know, uh, you know, standard married man and wife, you know, I, and I got really into the Robert Heinlein's work and, and he has lots of like group marriages and things in his, in his science fiction. Mm-hmm. And uh, which kind of it that thing kind of um, spirals off into his. It starts to feel like you're just reading somebody's like pervert fantasy. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that, that that wasn't the goal, but uh, but yeah, playing with kind of how a fictional society would see would see gender and and body image is was was kind of a lot of the a lot of the the impetus behind it. And, it was uh, so great to have that coming out, like right when we were busy, like pulling our hair out about being upset about Airboy and what happened there. To have something like, but there's this comic that has gender queer nights, and that makes us very happy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all, but it's it's kind of subtle how it's actually addressed. Like the like the gender queer thing is, it's it's obviously in there, but it's not. The characters are so used to it, and the society kind of accepts it that it's not really. Which is oftentimes is how I, um, you know, like in in multiple warheads, I've got uh, a gay couple. And it's uh, this a mole and a and a and a human guy, and it's this it's I kind of had to rethink how how they're treated in the society because nobody cares. It's not like uh it's not like a uh, a minority as much or not something that is that is thought of as a bad thing at all. And I like to do that a lot is is think about the ideal, and and go with that in the in the fiction. Mm-hmm. 
So why did, uh, I mean, it's a, we talked about that a lot kind of offline about Arclight and the various groups we're on. Um, you know, why did you feel like you wanted to put, you know, the gender and especially the, you know, the gender queer aspects to the knights in the story? Uh, a lot of it's just uh, like when I work with people, the, I, I want to write stories that are of interest to them. And a lot of it is like, that's where Marion's interest lies. Um, you know, she's somebody who, uh, you know, sits around in, in, in pretty much men's clothing and, and not really into uh, identifying as, as particularly uh, feminine in any way. So it's, it's something that she's definitely interested in. And, uh, and, and for me, it's just very fascinating. I'm a, you know, I'm remarkably, uh, you know, my, my gender is, is uh, you know, as is, is boring as it could possibly be. And so I, but, I, but I'm surrounded by people who, you know, come from very different backgrounds. And so it's, um, it's almost me mulling over how, uh, you know, ideas that came into my, into my circle of friends in, later in life, you know, in my 30s, as opposed to, the stuff that I was writing about when I was younger, which you know it could be a, a big misstep if I, you know, I'm writing about people that aren't me, that that I'm not living the situation, but but hopefully it's done respectfully. Mhm. Uh, you know, I I'm wishing I was actually more familiar with your like super early sex comic work, so I could have something intelligent to say to, say, to try to connect these things together. It's a, it's a mess. Just understand it's a mess. Understand oh really? So. <laughs> I'm pages of of uh, schoolgirls having pillow fights and falling over. Just imagine that. Just think it's the most embarrassing thing you've ever seen. <laughs> so embarrassing. Probably sold a yeah, lot of it to our comic store uh, clients. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they, they certainly sell okay. But um, uh, hopefully, my 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 hope with that stuff is it's done with enough humor that um, that it isn't completely offensive. But you know, I, I, I enjoyed doing it. I was going to say, like, I mean, you feel like there's a particular role for sex comics that's important to like include in the industry, and like, you know, people kind of marginalize it or talk disparagingly. And I was curious if you had thoughts about it as an art form. Yeah, I think it's really, I think it's really important and really, um, you know, it's 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 so uh, it's it's weird that it gets shit on it all by that because it it's just you had just have the a person kind of expressing their 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 interests or fantasy just through like you know ink and paper and you know there's no it, it takes away any kind of any kind of uh ideas of like sex worker coercing or anything like that it's just very what you a friend of mine would always say you just have the creep who wants to make it and the creep who wants to buy it and uh, that's, I think great. that's nice. and and plus you know it's uh yeah i mean you see all it's as an artist, I think that's a really like that was kind of my my version of comic school. Like the the early work I could get was doing porn comics, so I ended up kind of having to turn in for a while. I was just paying my rent, doing just porn comics to NBM, and so I'd have to turn in a certain amount of pages every month. And and it's really hard to draw just human bodies interacting. Most and people fail. Yeah, I mean, it's, spectacularly. It's, <laughs> <laughs> so cruel. Um, but and now like these days, there's a lot. You know, with websites like Slipshine or um, Hard Blush or Club Stripes, there's a bunch of different. I just named a bunch of gay furry porn sites there, but but a lot of those are um, are places where cartoonists who wouldn't have other methods of of making an income are able to do comic books and 
and get their work out there and, and pay their rent, which is pretty exciting. That's great. And, and yeah, if you look at, um, you know, you look at like Slipshine's a site run by this guy Josh Lesnick, and and just the diversity of creators on there is, you know, really impressive when you put it up to next day, like any any publisher, pretty much. That doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me at all. Very cool. Listen to this. All these out. What's that? I've never, I've never heard any of these, so I'm definitely gonna have to re-listen to this episode and write these down. Yeah, nor, nor, nor have I. But I, I think that that's true. Like because it's a marginalized art form, it creates space for like more marginalized voices to be included as creators. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, oh, and had a question about uh, why is so much of the stuff in um, in multiple warheads set in Russia or like fake Russia or have Russian influences? Is it like an 80s thing or? Yeah. Um, so multiple warheads is, it started as a porn comic um, back when I would get paid to do what, so I, I worked for NBM and they have this horrible magazine called Sizzle Magazine. And uh, and every every time I did something for it, there was just, I think, 10 or 15 page chunks and I could do whatever I wanted for it. So I did all these ridiculous stories. I did one about a, a guy that can ejaculate absolutely anything, and he like shoots out the um, a rhinoceros and the the um, Eiffel Tower eventually. Which is nice. And so Multiple <laughs> Warhead did right when um, right after like 9/11 in New York, and uh, and there was it was it was really uh, heavy on security then. And uh, I was kind of amazed at how much, you know, you'd see guys in the, there was like military guys in the subway with, 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 uh, with guns and you'd have to go through all these checkpoints to go through Midtown. And, uh, and I think I just related that to, um, to this idea of Russia. So I did this, this comic book where it's like set in Russia and all about this woman smuggling a werewolf's penis through a checkpoint to sew it onto her boyfriend. And they turned into a werewolf and with two penises and they have sex and, uh, and I liked the characters, and I liked the idea, so I kind of kept doing the story. But the more I researched Russia, the more I realized that, oops, sorry, I realized that my, um, my idea of fictional Russia was more what I wanted to pay attention to than, than, the, than the reality of Russia. And so like, it, it kind of became its own thing. And I started actually researching a lot more about China, but kind of just putting this like fake 80s Russian spin on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been really fun to play around in that yeah i i was also in new york um before and after 9 11 and, and still am and um it you know during occupy the police had the same sort of like checkpoint stuff set up but only down around the financial district oh i, I totally had get how that would trigger this association do you have any like i mean i think that in terms of like it being a question of like weapons smuggling and things like that like there is there is something political happening in there. Yeah, very much. I think it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to do something that is. What's the, the quote? Everything is political. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I imagine just it'd be really hard to live in New York while you know Occupy was going on, for instance, and not get an opinion about it at least, even if it was just like, I hate that this is a hassle we get to work now. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's an image book coming out. I think it's Kari Andrews is doing a book called The One Percent, which is interesting because it it seems uh, 
I wonder if that's something that people are still thinking about, even though it's obviously the situation hasn't really changed. Well, in political land where I work, uh, yes, very much so. Um, the activists are still very much talking about that as a thing. Right. Uh, so you'd have to tell me if people who don't do this shit for a living are still thinking about it. But I think that they're living <laughs> it, right? So they're probably they're probably still thinking about it since they're living it. Right, right. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I... Uh, I don't know where I was going there. I was I was thinking about uh, there's there's certainly lots of interesting overlap in in where comics and politics meet because you get so much uh, you know it's a it's a art form that is uh, you know chained to capitalism mm-hmm. and so it it becomes very sometimes I start to feel like a crazy person because I I'm remarkably anti-capitalism but still you know functioning in this in this thing and. Uh, I get very, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not super polite about about the corporate influence on comics, and mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's so commonplace, like um, where people are just very used to working on these these properties that are not owned by individuals but owned by by just you know kind of faceless companies that it, it you know, and I, I never want to I never want to shit on creators, but it's always very hard for me when you see kind of legacies getting getting shit on like kind of um you know like uh like how Jack Kirby is is treated as this kind of deity but then nobody kind of looks at how he was treated during his career mm-hmm. you know and and the kind of sour feelings he had towards towards Stanley near the end and uh and Stanley's still kind of kind of thrown around as the the face of all the Kirby comics yeah, I I'm very pissed about that. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. You definitely, as a show, talk about. Right. Yeah, you I, I, I mean so you you know you you bring up points that we firmly believe in, um, but a lot of people kind of get really pissy and touchy if you kind of just bring that up to them, and they're like, "Nope, comics are comics," and they seem to kind of overlook that aspect to them. You know, why why do you think there's like this connect uh, between the readers and kind of like that reality of the industry. Well, I mean, you know, people want to be able to buy a comic and read it on the bus and just have fun reading it. And and it is, it is asking a lot for somebody to, um, to, to, to put politics on their entertainment. And, and at some levels, I think it's not really the, I, I worry sometimes that it's not necessarily the job of creators or publishers to shame people for reading what they like, but kind of in working in the industry, it's really important for me to at least be aware and be vocal about what I think is going on. So, I mean, I, I don't want to make anyone feel bad because they like reading Batman or something, or even if they like working on Batman, I just would like it to be honest about kind of what the situation is. But, uh, yeah, it, it, is, it is weird. I'm always surprised when I have people really mad at me about that stuff because I don't know. I mean, I guess I do. I do. <laughs> I'm not totally innocent here. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that. Um, but you know, uh, often, oftentimes, I think that I'm someone who, if you don't like my work, you can happily ignore me. Like, you know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to show up. And there's there's no chance of me showing up and writing X Men. So if you that's the kind of comics you like, you can just not read my Twitter. You know. <laughs> <laughs> your Twitter is really great, by the way. Everybody should follow you on Twitter and Tumblr. Uh, your okay. Royal Boiler, 
actually, this is, yeah, how did you get really involved in using social media uh, to talk with fans and, you know, in, engage in the, the comics community? Um, well, I think I, I got, I started playing around the internet much, uh, just a little bit before people started paying attention to my, or before, like, my, my King City book came out, which is kind of what people started paying attention to of mine. And I remember reading a really nice thing that uh, Warren Ellis had written a thing about how the internet, he was, he was comparing the internet to radio and how, uh, you know, just like almost as a, as a communication tool for an artist to kind of get their work out there, they can, they can put up, you know, they can put up these like kind of broadcasts of, of information to kind of entertain the readers. And, um, and like, I can't really, you know, I've never been a super fast artist, but, but I, am so immersed in comics that I can certainly talk about the stuff I like. And so I had a, a live journal and a, a DeviantArt, and I would I would post a lot of things about just what I was excited about in comics. And that worked out really well for me, um, where I got to meet a lot of the, the creators whose work I was really excited about just because I would talk about it so much. And, uh, and yeah, and then it's kind of, you know, you move, you move as the Internet moves, and you, uh, you know, get a Twitter and a Tumblr as it goes, and, the, and everything kind of works differently. Yeah. I mean, I, I think sometimes people's reluctance to talk about comics in terms of political things is because there's a resistance to acknowledging comics' work as labor and um, looking at how the publishers use people's work requires you to recognize that you're complicit in consuming things that are exploiting the creators who create it. But we all do that because, like, that's we live. Like, that's how you have to live in this world. So I don't know if that. Yeah, no, I think that's weird, but it's it's weird too because there's also like comic like like comics is also very much a choice that people do. Like if somebody has a family and they need to make money, that there's probably better ways to make faster, easier, more regular money than comics. Which is always why it's somewhat surprising to me that people kind of allow themselves to be um, mistreated in comics. Because you know you can go work in animation and and not own anything and just get a much better. I, I don't. I don't mean. I don't really know too much about the Marvel and DC city page rate, but I, I do know that the people that worked on it, that work on it, you know, they don't get a percentage at all of the of the money. They don't get a decent percentage of the money that that it makes. I've got a friend that does Spider-Man issue, and he's always talking about how it got seen and read by by more people than his creator-owned work ever did. But he got paid so much less. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, and, and more and more, it's getting to the point where if somebody has a name that they're established, if somebody has a name that readers know, they can do an image book and make a lot more money than they could on a Marvel and DC book. And so they're doing superhero comics just because they have nostalgia for it and, and they do it for fun more than the income, which is really bizarre to me on on you know kind of a <laughs> on, on a on a creator rights level. Because, uh, I get you it. Think that, yeah, I mean, you, it, it could be a thing where the creators were suddenly like, you know, well, change your contracts or I won't. And, and you know, it's different for different people. Like I know Rob Liefeld, because he was such a, a, a like celebrity comic artist in the '90s, like he makes money off of every Deadpool thing that comes out. He makes he gets money from, which I imagine a lot of people dislike because they they love Deadpool <laughs> and not him. But I'm kind of the opposite, where I'm more of a fan of him as a person than Deadpool. So I'm happy to see him get the money. I love hearing you talk about Liefeld. Like you absolutely <laughs> should check out the podcast um, that you did 
uh, on ink studs about Lightfellow because it definitely, you know, made me look at his work a different way. So, oh, thank yeah, you. I mean, I, I really, he's, he's really fascinating. I always, I, I sometimes call him the vanilla ice of comics because he's got such a reputation where people will just casually throw out his name like it's the worst possible thing. But as a person, he's like, he's been so pleasant for me to deal with and just like really kind. And, and, and it's really changed how I think about making comics when you meet a guy who knows that if he looks up his name on the internet, he'll just ruin his day, but he still like draws cause it's fun to him. You know, he doesn't have to, he makes, you know, he gets a Deadpool money. That's great. Well, we've taken up a whole lot of your time. Um, before we kind of start wrapping up, um, is there other things you want to plug? You have, we obviously have uh, ArcLight, you have Island. Um, is there other series or projects you got coming out that you want to uh, plug? Maybe not just for you, but whomever you like. I could, yeah, I mean, I won't be here all night if I start talking about comics I like. But uh, <laughs> I, I guess I should mention that the Prophet series that I'm doing is. Uh, is starting up again. I'm doing the last six issues that got stuck because I'm horrible deadlines. And uh, so I've got four issues now that'll probably be solicited the next previews. I'm going to start running them again with uh, Yanni Milogiannis. He's got, I like to work with people with impossible names. So there's, there's Yanni and Shersho, the two of the guys I'm working with that have just like names with a million N's and G's and X's in them. But uh, yeah, I should mention that. And, uh, yeah, I, what I'm trying to what's it? I guess yeah, people should read uh, TJ and Amal if they hadn't. That's one of my favorite comics. I I got to talk to EK Weaver the other day. It's this like gay road trip comic that uh, is very influenced by. It, it reminds me a lot of of the anime Cowboy Bebop. Like one of the characters is kind of based off of one of the guys there. Huh. Yeah, that one's definitely worth worth reading. Um. Yeah, there's too many good comics out now. It's it's good. Uh, I've been picking up uh, I've been picking up Harrow County, the um, the I think it's Tyler Crook and I'm spacing on the name the artist who did the Damned and the Six uh, the writer who did the Damned and the Six Gun. Colin Bunn. Anyway, I've been getting that. Yeah, Colin Bunn. Yeah, uh, I've been getting that series, and I've been getting uh, Sophie Campbell's Gem of the Holograms is really good. Yay! Mm-hmm. We love them too. Yeah, which is um, which is nice because I was a I'm a big fan of her work on Wet Moon, and so it it feels like it's just like Wet Moon with gem characters. Um, I don't know what else are you guys reading now that's exciting. Uh, yeah, Obviously, uh, Island could... Magazine. <laughs> 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 we could probably be here all night to describe to have that conversation. Um, are you, so, are you guys for... going and get the full list of like thirty books at once? Yeah, I my pull list. We read a lot of stuff, so we can review it. Our, yeah, we um we read too many comics because of our journalistic integrity. Nice, that 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 is important. I do have an amazing scam going lately where I've been trading. I've been doing blank covers for the the local comic store that I that I hang out in a lot. I always tell them I'm paying rent whenever I buy comics, so they load it there so much. It's a place called RX Comics in Vancouver here, and I've been drawing blank covers for them. And, and in trade, I go in and they give me comics. And so I get to read a bunch of the, a bunch of different. Also, I just get to read the blank cover ones. Like I just read the Archie comic just because I'm doing a sketch on the cover. And, uh, oh like wow! I, yeah, so that's that's really fun just to do that. And then I just hand them over to the guy, and he 
puts them in a box somewhere and sells them on the internet or something. And uh, oh, I've been reading Gold Digger. That's a that's a, <laughs> a series that I might be the only one who reads. I don't think I've heard of that. It's a Antarctic press book about yeah. a, about kind of a a female uh, Indiana Jones and her and her were cheetah adopted sister. Oh, it's I like really that. Entertaining and incredibly uncool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Great. for uh, uh, for folks who want to follow you, where can they follow you on uh, Twitter and where wherever else? Yeah, Twitter and Tumblr, I guess, are the main places. And so you can look at my name. There's just me and a football player, or uh, Royal Boiler. It's, uh, it's, uh, um, it's the other thing I always attach my name to. Cool. If folks follow uh, us on Twitter, you will see that handle. So. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Uh, we want want to thank you for uh, coming on the the show. It was great having you. Um, sorry for the technical issues in the beginning, but uh, appreciate chatting with you. That's probably my own fault. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. Good to you guys. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Cool. Uh, well, as we wrap up, uh, I want to thank Brandon again, and you can follow him at Royal Boiler at uh, Twitter. You could just follow us on Twitter, and we were tweeting about him all night. Uh, we'll also have it in the follow-up uh, posts on SoundCloud and uh, I don't think Stitcher, but at least our site. Um, you can follow us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. Of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, all at Graphic Policy. Um, thank you, Alana, for uh, the technical help. Much appreciated. Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't step in sooner. Well, I definitely hope we can have Brandon <laughs> back on the show soon. So. Yeah, yeah, we'll work through the technical issues and, and definitely have him back. We still need to work on international, it would seem. Um, so thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. We've got another guest. And do you want to introduce the person? Ooh, ooh, is next week Alex DeCampi? Yes, it is. Or is next week uh, Genevieve Valentine? Next week is Alex nope. DeCampi. Yes, DeCampi is, is next week, and then Genevieve yes. is the week after. Next week. <laughs> we have got great guests. <laughs> next week is Alex DeCampi, who does a lot of great work for Image and Dark Horse. Um, Grindhouse is her series. No Mercy uh, is her new series on Image. Um, and uh, is like everything she said at Special Edition when she was on a panel I said, oh, my God, this. Oh, my God, that. Everything she said was brilliant. So I started reading her comics because she had smart things to say on a panel. So that's how good of a guest I know that she'll be. Uh, and her yes. comics are really great. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then, um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, until next time, folks. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. And keep it geeky.